you would be turning to 2 Chronicles chapter 12. 2 Chronicles chapter 12. We're going to notice the, the balance of the chapter. We're not going to read the whole chapter. But we're going to notice some events in the life of King Rehoboam. Verse 1 says, And it came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Now the historical context of the passage before us this afternoon is after the death of Solomon. Solomon had gone the way of all the earth and he left behind a kingdom that was filled with splendor, power, and the presence of God. At his death, the great king left the kingdom under the guidance of his son Rehoboam. But there was a difference between Solomon and Rehoboam, and unlike his father, Rehoboam was a foolish and a sinful man. He refused to acknowledge the good of the people, and because of his actions toward the people and toward God, they rebelled against him. Ten of the twelve tribes rebelled, and they chose themselves a king. They became the northern kingdom of Israel, and Jeroboam ruled over them. Of course, Rehoboam, he maintained his kingship in the southern kingdom of Judah, according to the promise of God of having someone from the house of David reigning over the kingdom uh, until the Messiah would come. Now, the northern kingdom, having chosen Jeroboam to be their king, they had uh, departed from God's worship and they began to follow after idolatry and they didn't even worship in the correct manner or in the correct place. You recall that Jeroboam had established... uh, Up in Dan, a golden calf, he established in Bethel a golden calf, and he said, now this is your God who took you out of Egypt. And so uh, they began to worship an idol God. Now Rehoboam, having been remained king, he had this opportunity to walk with God and do the things that God wanted him to do and expected him to do. But he wasted those opportunities. He chose not to do that. And when we look at all of the opportunities that he had, Jerusalem and the temple were definitely in his kingdom. In fact, even the Levites and the priests, they had all migrated south so they could uh, do the Lord's work within the temple and worship God properly. But again, Rehoboam wasted those opportunities given to him and he did not want to do the things that David did and his father Solomon had done. So as we study the life of Rehoboam, one quickly begins to understand that his life is a lesson in privilege and pride and in the judgment of God. We learn all of those things when we look at his life, and his life is a sad one when we break it down into the things that he did in this life. And one of the problems that Rehoboam had, one that may have in fact been his greatest problem, was he refused to give God the very best he had. He refused to give God the best of himself. And because of that, he and his people paid a terribly high price for their disobedience and unfaithfulness. Now we ought to always be reminded that it is our duty to give God our very best. In fact, God is worthy of our very best, of ourselves, giving ourselves When uh, Paul spoke of the Macedonians, he said they began with giving of themselves because they didn't have a lot financially. So they had to give themselves. And in his letter to the Romans, 
Paul demanded the very best that they had to offer. Romans 12, verse 1, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I think that's a key uh, part of that verse. It's reasonable to offer service to God. At what point in man's history has God ever asked something from His creation that was unreasonable. God has never asked us to come with a plan of salvation to be able to save ourselves from the sins of this world. He's never asked us anything that was beyond our capability. And so we need to understand that it is our reasonable service to offer God the very best of us. But does He receive our very best. If He does, we can enjoy the the presence and blessings that come along with that. If He does not, we can expect chastisement and judgment. And uh, as we consider the life of Rehoboam, I want us to notice some of the problems in his life that prevented him from giving God the very best. And maybe we can look at that and look into our own lives, and that's the whole purpose of studying, especially in the Old Testament, <clears throat> to find application. Those things written aforetime were written for our learning, that through patience and comfort of the Scriptures we might have hope, Romans fifteen four. So we want to be able to look at the life of Rehoboam, and in, the, in his account, we need to look at what he did wrong and make that application so that we might avoid that. We want to ask ourselves, does God receive our very best? And that's the title of the sermon tonight. Does God receive our very best? Uh, we would all agree, I think, that God deserves our very best. And at the same time, I think we would all agree that often He does not receive that from most people. He will receive far less from the lives and service of those, and even those who claim to be followers of God. Now, we want to change that if that's the case. So let's consider our own lives as we consider the problems of Rehoboam's life and why he was not able to give his very best. And the first thing we want to look at, Rehoboam had a problem with his character that prevented him from giving God his very best. And one of the problems with his character was that he was prideful. Rehoboam disregarded the Word of God. He listened to others instead of listening to God. And we recall when he came into power, he began to receive advice from both the young men and the older men. And he went to the older men and evidently Solomon had been a little rough on the people at times. And they had come and had asked Rehoboam to ease in, to, to uh, ease the load upon them. And so the, the elder men of the nation said, Do those things. Ease the load on these people and they'll love you for it. And then he went and asked those of his same age. And uh, Rehoboam was 41 years old when he uh, ascended to the throne. So he was a younger man. And so he went and asked those who were uh, his peers, and they said, Oh, no, <clears throat> never do that. If, uh, if, if Solomon whipped the people with, with uh, whips, you tell them you'll whip them with scorpions. If, the father's, if your father's load was heavy, you'll make it even heavier. 
And so that's what he did. He took the advice of those young men. And of course we know the result. Ten tribes left him and, and departed and the, uh, the nation was split. And so uh, listening to other people, he chose to not listen to God. Like all aspects of our lives, all of our actions have a foundation somewhere. All of our actions begin somewhere, and it begins in the mind, the heart, the biblical heart, the spiritual heart, right? Solomon said, Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as he thinketh, for he is as he thinketh in his heart. What comes out of us, is it begins in our minds, right? And so, Rehoboam had a problem with character, and it began with who he was. And so the things that he did came from within, came from within. And we're going to notice that Rehoboam chose not to try to alter that in any way. <clears throat> he believed that he, nor the nation, needed God. It was almost as if Rehoboam said, Thank you so much for bringing me up to this point. I think I can handle it from here. Well, that's not the case, is it? God is the source of uh, Rehoboam's power. He's the source of everyone's power. And we understand that when a person begins to believe that he stands apart from God, it is at that point that he is in danger of falling. Paul warned, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Now, that's an elliptical statement. He that thinketh he standeth apart from God. Now, we can't stand apart from God. We can't stand on our own. That's why those in the wilderness fell, wasn't it? They thought they were standing on their own. They were much like Rehoboam. Thanks for getting me to this point. I can handle it from here. No, that's not the case, is it? So Rehoboam, I believe, is the perfect example of someone that God cannot use. He cannot work with God. God can't use him in his work, and he can't use him in bringing glory and honor to his name. But who does God want to use? Does he want to use someone who is prideful? Or does he want someone who has a passion for him? Well, he needs someone who has a passion for him. And that was the problem of Rehoboam's character. God looks for the exact opposite of Rehoboam. Someone who is willing to listen. Someone who is willing to take advice. Someone who is willing to be disciplined. He looks for someone who realizes that they are dependent upon Him, doesn't He? John 15, verse 5. We need to understand we're dependent on Christ. Everything we have and are is based in Him, and without Him, we're not going to be anything. Because all of this stuff around us one day is going to be gone. And all that's going to be left is our relationship with God. Now that can last eternally, or it can end when this life is over, and then we'll be separated eternally. Paul said this, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now, Rehoboam didn't believe that. He believed he could do all things through his own power. And God looks for people who desire to walk in obedience to Him. John 14.15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's what God expects. That's not just a good idea from God. He's not just handing out pretty good advice, and if you take it good and if you don't, everything will be okay. Notice what John said in his uh, first general letter, First John 2, beginning with verse 3. 
He said, and hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He saith, I know Him. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso, whoso keepeth His word in him, verily is the love of God perfected or completed. Hereby know we that we are in Him. He that saith he abideth in Him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. And of course, Paul said that the Christian walked in a new life, didn't he? Romans 6, 3 and 4. Of course, that's a life of obedience. Rehoboam wasn't interested. He wasn't interested in a life of obedience. He had established in his mind himself. He didn't gain anything. What battles did Rehoboam uh, engage in. Who did Rehoboam conquer? Nobody. Nobody. The kings before him conquered. Solomon, his whole reign was a reign of peacefulness, wasn't it? He didn't have a life of war. David had a life of war. Saul had a reign of war and battle. Rehoboam, he didn't establish anything. He simply inherited the throne. And he thought he was the one who brought that about. It reminds me so much of Nebuchadnezzar when he walked out into the gardens, and I believe probably the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the great wonders of the world, and he said, look at this great Babylon that I have created. And then he paid the price for that. Paul said we're to walk in a new life. God desires people, unlike Ribborn, who love to see other people come to Him. Ribborn wasn't working on... Uh, having the nation to follow him in righteousness after God. He was doing the exact opposite. He was no better than the king to the north, was he? God saved us to both work and to be a statement to others about what Christ does in our own lives, right? We're an example to the people around us. We're to show people what it means to be a Christian, not just simply tell them. And uh, Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2, verse 10, and of course, Matthew 5, 16, Christ said, we're to be a shining light. We're to be a shining light to shine light into the darkness of a sinful world. And people recognize that and they see that. And that's one of the things God uh, desires for us. Now, the prophet Micah, he described for us what God requires. Micah 6, verse 8, he said, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. None of which Rehoboam did. Rehoboam walked in his own light. Rehoboam looked to himself. Rehoboam thought he stood apart from God. He did not give God the best of his character. He was prideful. He didn't have passion for God. He had a passion for himself. Now we need to ask ourselves, are we giving God the best of our character? Are we doing everything God wants us to do? We need to look inside ourselves. Sometimes we don't give God the best of our character. We need to change that. Could Rehoboam have changed what he was doing? Absolutely. He could have changed what he was doing. He simply chose not to. The king had a problem with his character that prevented him from giving the best he had to God. But he also had a problem with chastisement. Chastisement in itself doesn't necessarily mean the individual is, is beyond saving, right? We chastise our children when necessary, but we do it out of love. But 
Rehoboam was continually being chastised. Why? Because he transgressed the laws of God. And he willingly did that, and he did it time and time again. And the result of that was chastisement not only on himself, but on to the people. The people suffered for it, right? Both had sinned against God. Just like the northern kingdom carried off into idolatry, the southern kingdom followed after Rehoboam and they fulfilled or participated in the sins that Rehoboam participated in. And because of that, God used the kingdom to the, to the south, Egypt, and He brought Shishak in and they sacked the city, didn't they? They came in and He used Egypt as His tool of punishment. Now I want us to compare verse 9 of our passage with Exodus 12, 35 through 36. Now during the Exodus, Israel was being led out of Egypt and it says that Israel spoiled the Egyptians. Meaning they took with them uh, a lot of treasure. If you'll remember, they took gold and took different things and the Egyptians gave it to them. But now we have a complete reversal of action. Now the Egyptians came in and spoiled Israel. They took the, the treasures. They took the things of value. They punished Israel. They took away those things. And of course, that wasn't unusual. God would often use the heathen nations to punish His people when necessary. But a life that is not able to learn from God's chastisement is a life that God cannot use. God wants us to learn from our chastisements, right? That's why He chastises His people. That's why parents chastise their children. But if we're not willing to learn from God's chastisement, we cannot be blessed by God. We simply will continue to be punished. And because He would not walk with God, Rehoboam was giving God less than His best. Notice what the writer of Hebrews said. Hebrews 12, beginning with verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But he wants us to learn, right? He wants us to learn from our chastisement. He wants us to learn from our punishments. Rehoboam transgressed God's laws. And for that he was chastised. He had a problem with chastisement. It prevented him from giving his best to God. But we need to understand when God chastises, he does it in love, right? But what, what's he looking for? What's the purpose of that chastisement? Well, the chastisement comes because the law has been transgressed. But within the, trans, uh, the chastisement, God wants transformation, right? He wants us to use that and wants us to change. He wants us to become something better. He wants us to become a new creature. That's what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He wants us to become His children, Romans 8, 15. He wants us to walk in a new life and to be used for His glory, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. God wants all of that for us. He wants it because He loves us, right? In other words, God saved us to be transformed, not so we could transgress His commandments. That's backwards thinking, isn't it? God chose Israel. And the very people that God chose, the very people He brought up out of slavery in Egypt, the very people He established 
in the land which flowed with milk and honey, the very people that He blessed with all things, houses they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant, what did they do? They transgressed God's law. They would not be transformed. However, when a child of God refuses to walk in His ways, He will sin chastisement. We read about it. We've been studying it in the Revelation. Revelation 3 verse 19. If you don't repent, I'll come and take your candlestick. That's what He told the seven churches in Asia. Now the the writer of Hebrews again, Hebrews 12 beginning with verse 8, he said, But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then you are bastards and not sons. What parent who loves their child will not chasten, chasten, uh, chasten that child, will not chastise that child, will not punish that child, because we want them to change, we want them to transform. We do it for their safety, both spiritual and physical, right? Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Listen, children understand, even when they're small, people who put rules into place do it because they love them. People, uh, young people want to have rules in place. It lets them know that they're loved. If someone says, just go do whatever you want to do, I don't care. Eat candy and cake for supper, stay out all night long, run with the bad crowd, don't take a bath, don't brush your teeth, doesn't matter if you go to church or not. Does that person love that child? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But the parent or the guardian who says you're going to eat healthy, you're going to take care of yourself, and we're going to take care of your spiritual part of you, loves that child. And we reverence our physical, our earthly fathers and mothers for that. The writer continues saying, Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but He for our profit... You know, there are times when an earthly parent is not what they ought to be and they might punish a child simply because they find enjoyment in that. You find that every once in a while. Those people are without natural affection, Romans chapter 1. But God never does that. He always punishes or chastens us for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grieveth. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. God has directed the leadership of the church today to discipline members who need to be disciplined. Why do we do it? Do we do it because whoever the leadership is is on some kind of a power trip? You know, that may have happened in certain places at certain times. It may be going on today somewhere. I don't know. But those congregations are not doing it the way God wants. God's people chasten because they love and they want that person or those people back. That's the whole purpose. Do it for their own profit. But if the guilty will not submit, they're not giving their best to God. And they're just like Rehoboam. So we look at Rehoboam, we understand he had a problem with his character. He had a problem with chastisement. And both of those kept him from giving his best to God. But finally, this is our third and final point, he also had a problem with compromise. He compromised. He doubted. He doubted in his dedication to God. Should I be dedicated or should I not? I want to be dedicated, and then you turn right around and, and he doesn't want to be dedicated. Have you ever been driving down the road and 
squirrel run out in front of the road and he's going, then he changes his mind, he goes back, then he changes his mind, he goes back, and eventually gets run over because he can't just move on across the road, right? Well, we see that in, in Rehoboam in a lot of ways, right? In verse 1, he walked away from God. In verse 6, he repented. In verse 12, he humbled himself. In verse 14, he did evil. He's in, he's out, he's in, he's out, he's in. That person isn't living for God. He's not being dedicated. He's not, he's doubting himself. The king wasn't dedicated. He didn't give his best to God. And that same compromise can be seen in the very events of his life. In our very passage, God is looking for people who have stability. People who are going to be in, stay in the fight, even when it gets tough. Even when things are not looking so well. He's, he is looking for people who are going to grow in faith. He's looking for people who are going to stick into the fight. We need to constantly be growing. Are we stopping and starting and going in reverse? And We need to look at what we're doing, right? Let's look at Rehoboam. Let's learn from the mistakes he made. And let's look into our lives and say, I don't want to be that way. I want to give my best to God. Paul described the way the body of Christ was to operate in this world. Let's notice Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting or the completing of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or a complete man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men in cunning craftiness. How many people have we known that they start out and boy, they're on fire for God, and then someone talks to them over here, and someone talks to them over there, and they're back and forth, they're tossed to them. That's like a child. See, that's immaturity is really what he's talking about here, isn't it? That's immaturity. God's looking for not someone who would doubt. He's looking for someone who is committed. He doesn't want someone who will compromise. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measurement of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The, the world is constantly barraging the Christian. Everybody, not just the Christian, but everybody. But it is especially dangerous for the Christian. Wanting the Christian to leave God, leave Christ. It's okay. Be tossed to and fro. Be immature. Think, well, I've got all kinds of time. I'll do whatever I want to. And then right at the very end, I'll repent and I'll turn back to God. How many people believe that? But when we overcome, it becomes easier and easier to remain faithful. You know, the world wants us to conform, not transform. Romans 12, verse 2. God wants us to be transformed. The world wants us to conform to their belief system, conform to what they prize as important. But God says no. God is looking for people, not those who doubt, but those who are dedicated. 
right? It's hard to be dedicated sometimes in any aspect of life. Sometimes it's hard to be dedicated with our jobs. Hard to be dedicated in our family units. It's hard to be dedicated to friends, right? Things are tough. People get on our nerves. But God expects dedication. Because of his lack of dedication to God, Rehoboam was punished by Israel, uh, by Egypt. Egypt came in, Shishak and the Egyptians. And in our passage, which, which addresses the time that, that Rehoboam was uh, set into power unto his death, and one of the major things that happened to him, Shishak came in and stole 300 golden shields. Now those 300 shields each weighed 3 pounds. That's 900 pounds of gold. That's $16,825,340.41 worth of gold in our day. Now those shields were used for when the king marched into the temple to worship. 150 soldiers on either side with those golden shields and the golden shield represented power, represented prestige, represented God's presence in the temple. And he would walk through there and it would shine and glow. Shishak took them. Do you know what Rehoboam did? We see his compromise because he wasn't dedicated. Instead of amassing his army and going after God's belongings, he got all the metal workers together and made them fashion 300 shields made out of brass. Now, if you shine up that brass, it'll, it'll look like gold. But do you know the soldiers holding them can tell the difference? Gold is tempered. It doesn't need to be shined up. It's always going to shine, right? It's going to, uh, it's going to glow and, and, and it's going to be worth so much more than brass. Brass was common. Made from nickel and zinc. And, but he didn't want to go uh, recover those. He wanted to offer a very poor substitute. That's compromise, isn't it? We see it in the world today. The religious world is full of compromise. People want to offer a very poor substitute to what God commands. God didn't, didn't command for them to be, to have 300 shields made out of brass. That wasn't what God asked for. That wasn't what He wanted. But Rehoboam compromised. That's why he couldn't give all of himself to God. Give his very best. Let's not give brass to God. Let's give gold. Let's give God what He deserves. What He has coming. Sometimes we give instead of when He deserves the very best. Don't we? Some people offer carnal lives instead of committed lives. Some people offer compromise instead of commitment. Some people offer excuses instead of humble obedience. And all of those things is exactly what Rehoboam offered. And because of that, Rehoboam died in sin. Not a faithful child of God. Does God receive our very best? We need to look into ourselves. I need to look into myself and and I need to ask, am I offering up brass or am I offering up gold? That's a symbol that's a symbol. It was a symbol then, it's a symbol now. It's a symbol of the things that God deserves. He deserves the very best. At times, I believe, Christians can find themselves being more like Rehoboam than like Jesus. And Rehoboam had some problems. 
that kept him from giving his very best. He had a character problem. He had a chastisement problem. He had a compromise problem. Now, all of us at times, and some of us all the time, (laughs) may have problems with that. And when I say we, I'm not particularly talking about us. I'm talking about the world in general. We'll have problems like that. And, And when we do, that prevents us from God receiving our very best. And we don't want to be like Rehoboam. We want to learn from Rehoboam's problem because God deserves our very best. He deserves our dedication. He deserves our obedience to Him. In a, whether it's an initial obedience of faith and repentance, immersion, uh, confession and immersion in water and faithful living, or whether it's having fallen away and then deciding to make that change, to rededicate ourselves to God again. Rehoboam had those opportunities. He knew exactly what God expected. His father was Solomon. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. That was his confessional prior to his death. He had done it all, and he was ashamed of it. He said, it's all worthless, it's all empty. The whole duty of man, the whole of man, is to fear God and keep His commandments. And you know good and well, Rehoboam knew that. God doesn't expect anything unreasonable. And it was Rehoboam's reasonable service to be in obedience to God. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this night, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.